Welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the Witcher uh, short story, A Question of Price. Uh, so this is one of the most, if not the most important one in setting up the major saga in the books and some coming short stories. This is obviously where Geralt gets connected to Ciri. Um, I don't feel like that needs to go under spoilers. There will be spoiler stuff that I will put in a spoiler section this episode, simply because of future knowledge, uh, and they haven't covered it in the, uh, in the show yet, so I don't think it's fair game. Uh, but, of course, we know he got Siri from this, and that's pretty common knowledge when it comes to the franchise in general. So, I say here, this is where uh, the... Uh, destinies, if you want to call it that, of Geralt and Ciri are tied together in some form or another, that something more now awaits them in their life. One yet to be born, and one uh, who is growing weary of his own life. So this this little uh, short story is uh, rather quite light-hearted, especially at the beginning, uh, dealing with all the nobles and their weird eccentricities and uh, and petty squabbles and stuff. Uh, but it actually has, uh, it gets pretty serious midway through, and it also has incredibly dark connotations for the future, which will be in the spoiler section. Uh, Calanthe is the standout of this, um, you know, uh, short story. What's great about her is she is many things all at once. She is confident, fierce, resilient. Uh, she's a she's a firm leader, a firm ruler. Uh, we find out that women aren't allowed to rule in Sintra, uh, but yet she has maneuvered her way through very clever political machinations to become the de facto ruler. After her husband died, she then uh, was able to just basically badger everybody into letting her be, uh, you know, the full, full-blown full leader without a king. And she has refused to marry since because she knows the moment she gets married, uh, they are going to uh, go behind her back and try and install the, the, the new king as the, the 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 true ruler and take all that power away from her, so she's very clever, uh, very very smart, very politically savvy, uh, as she says, everybody has a price, and she knows how to get underneath people's skin, and she knows how to prep and prepare everything to the minutest detail, so that she can get exactly what she wants. But she is also a fierce warrior. She's known as the Lioness of Sintra. She had uh, she has a very famous battle that you know there's songs are sung about her. Uh, you know she is many things all at once. She's not your traditional queen. Uh, she's not your traditional uh, obstinate bureaucrat. She is one of the only I would say uh, looks at royalty in The Witcher that shows. Uh, what it actually means to be a ruler. Uh, we got Foltis in The Witcher, who, uh, you know, uh, the the he performed to his constituents, uh, but he wasn't. Uh, it, but but in behind the scenes, he was more of a concerned father. And we'll see some other the rulers uh, throughout time. Some rule with an iron fist. Some are more boots on the ground. Uh, but Calanthe 
is right there in the middle. She knows exactly what she wants to be, how she wants to rule, uh, and perhaps shows the most um, inclination to be a leader that can find solutions, actually solve issues, actually lead by example. Um, because she does make mistakes, but she's willing to admit when she makes mistakes, and that's an important aspect of a leader, even in nobility, even in a monarchy. Um, and we see her clever political machinations when she brings Geralt in. She knows Urchiano Aramwald, a.k.a. Dunny, uh, is going to show up. She knows it way ahead of time. So she brings in, you know, a monster hunter, a monster killer, puts him... Uh, you know, underneath the guise of Ravix of Fourhorn, so he would go unnoticed, uh, has, you know, uh, his swords tuck, tucked away in a safe space, uh, and is basically like, okay, I'm going to convince you what you're going to do, and if you don't do it, well, the repercussions will surely come down upon you. It's basically a sword of Damocles heading, like, over his head, uh, and you're going to do exactly what I say. And then, of course, Urchion shows up and uh, reveals himself, reveals the law of surprise. And then she manipulates uh, Dunny to take off his helmet before midnight by asking for the bell to be rung early. Uh, it's a very clever ploy to uh, bring out, because she knows... He's a monster underneath there. At least he seems to be a monster. He looks like a hedgehog. Doesn't look human. And she knows that no one would allow the marriage, no matter what ancient magical law binds them, to a, uh, from the, the Princess Pavetta, an important political figure, someone who has to be married off uh, for, the, uh, for the sake of the realm of Sintra, to an important political alliance. They would never allow... You know, someone from, uh, uh, you know, a knight from a place of no renown who looks like a monster marry this important figure. There was no way. Um, and, of course, Geralt refuses Calanthe because we have seen, uh, specifically in The Witcher, uh, that he is adept at dealing with nobility. He's adept with dealing with rulers. He is matter-of-fact with them. He knows he's a tool. He was more than willing to act like a tool for them, uh, and he will spit straight facts at them because he knows they need him. And so he can say what he needs, uh, and he will be as aggressive or as diplomatic as he needs to be. Uh, and that that sort of playing to uh, the Witcher stereotype is actually very important for what he does at the end of the short story. Now, the low surprise actually comes from uh, a Slavic folktale. Um, and it's actually a very interesting thing uh, to add to this world. You, you Like, over the course of this book, we've had many curses and, uh, you, know, uh, a, you know, true love curing one curse in particular. So, um, to have a binding contract deal with the devil almost, but not quite. Um, it's an interesting way to develop how adding fairy tales to your uh, fantasy world makes things ironically darker um, because 
the magic within fairy tales is very binding. It's um, it's specifically worded. Um, these ancient laws of magic that cannot and will not ever be disputed uh, basically makes the 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 magic in this world incredibly dangerous that anybody at any time can come underneath a curse uh, and it can screw them up royally and speaking of the fairy tale references there's a cinderella reference in here there's a baba yaga reference in here there's there's a lot of really great references and there's been references throughout the short stories i've only mentioned the ones that were major uh, to the story, uh, but this one kind of draws upon a bunch of fairy tales, Slavic folklore, and has almost a feel about it of Arthurian legend, which which Arthurian legend is going to be played with in this saga. I don't feel like that's a spoiler, considering one of the books in this saga is called The Lady of the Lake, so I think that's kind of you know, obvious that it's got this feeling of a legend of history in the making. I find it interesting that Pavetta really has no say in the matter. Uh, that basically, uh, the situation that, that's going on is that Sintra, you know, uh, we'll find out more about the political significance of Sintra uh, later, but uh, let's just say that it lies between uh, basically a, a river that divides the north and south of this fantasy continent. Uh, and uh, so therefore it's strategically important. And so the realm needs to have strong ties to keep it fortified, keep it safe. And fortifying it with uh, the, the Skellige Isles uh, would prove advantageous. Uh, and so Calanthe... Because this is, you know, tradition, she can't just say she's going to uh, get married to Croc on Crate or whatever. Uh, she has to throw this big party thing where everybody has to, you know, come court Pavetta and Pavetta's got to choose the right one. But of course, that choice has already been made for, for Pavetta, already been chosen long, long time ago that, you know, she was going uh, to get married to this person and no one else, and we were going to tie ourselves to Skellige, bye-bye agency and free will in any of this. She is royalty, she has to accept her place in this, uh, which is fascinating because Calanthe is actively doing this to her own daughter when she actively manipulated her way into getting her own agency within the monarchy and the, the nobility and being able to rule Sintra. So she, you would think as uh being a woman who's not allowed to rule who manipulated her way into ruling she would understand the importance of agency and free will especially to her daughter who should have the choice to marry who she wants to uh but of course calanthe doesn't see it that way she thinks about things in the long term she is a politician that's exactly who and what she is it's the way it's how she maneuvered her way into ruling Sindra in the first place she's conniving she's manipulative she can be a bit of an asshole, but she can also be incredibly kind and caring. You just have to get on her right side, basically. She is a interesting ruler that she shows every side that it requires to be a ruler or a politician in any era. On uh, how, uh, you know, playing politics is a dangerous game. and a game in which morality goes right out the window. Uh, and... 
usually agency goes to and free will goes to it is a horrible horrible battlefield that people actively want to get into for various reasons uh but what's fascinating about pavetta not having a say in the matter of who she gets to marry until the very end when you know the the entire situation unfolds and in Calanthe, uh you know finally just caves and says okay fine Destiny tied you and done and get married. I will marry Iced, and thus we'll have the you know connection to, uh, to Skelga. And Iced is the kind of person that respects me wholeheartedly, uh, and so uh, he would be more willing to uh, basically be king, uh, but only as a figurehead and let me rule. It's just a matter of the nobles will go along with it, basically. And uh, but Pavetta having no say. It's kind of interesting because of where this saga is going. So in publication order, the short story, The Sword of Destiny, was published first. That series introduction um, in which we find out, you know, who who Siri is, uh, how she's tied to Geralt, etc. And what's going on, which is all lead up to the saga because he got a book deal. Um, and then this was published later to fill in the gap of how they were connected. Um, so you already know from an ethereal standpoint that Sokowski is already thinking about the themes and ideas that he's going to be, you know, challenging in the future. Uh, and a lot of what is to come in the saga is about agency uh, and free will and um, the right someone has to choose and whether um, choosing um, either for personal or political reasons uh, should be put in the hands of one person or the many. Uh, and that is um, an interesting dichotomy is that we have a kind of a microcosm here. I think that that's why Pavetta hardly ever says a line in here outside of a couple of words, and is that the the entire point is she is quiet because she knows she has no agency, she has no free will in this story, which is when you know her power kicks in when she does her you know scream uh, of pure like unadulterated force that shows I want to take a stand, I have the right to choose it is me not you who gets to decide this and that's very important for the future um and of course this all ends with Geralt calling the law a surprise um and what what I like about this is that he's basically performing that witcher thing that he's the best way to put it is that he uh, he, he ramps himself up in this comfort blanket, this illusion of the unfeeling, uncaring, you know, monster hunter, witcher type person. And he was just lectured to about how he was, uh, you know, how he was a product of the law of surprise. He wasn't, as we'll find out later. That's minor spoilers. So I didn't feel like he qualified. Uh, and so he, uh, basically, uh, he calls it out of the performative. He was just lectured about how uh, witchers steal children 
from their homes due to the law of surprise. So he calls it just to get the fuck out of there because he was incredibly uncomfortable with the situation to begin with and wanted out as fast as he could. He he can deal with rulers, but he hates being there. He hates politics in general. And of course, he unknowingly ties himself to the future child. Uh, and of course, that's Siri. And uh, as we'll find out, destiny alone is not enough. Something more is required. Uh, and the... The implications of this are massive, and what is to come is incredibly interesting. As Spukowski takes multiple tropes, especially the Chosen One Destiny trope, and twists it and twists it into something that is very interesting. Uh, and I think deconstructs it and reconstructs it in various interesting ways. Now, spoiler warning. This is spoiler section, because we're going to get into some spoilers. So this is your warning, right here, right now. Okay, so Dunny is Amir Var Emerus, the Emperor of Nilfgaard, or at least he will soon be. Um, this this entire situation is interesting because uh, he was cursed uh, and thrown out of uh, Nilfgaard, and, you, and his family was usurped, you know, King Fergus. Uh, was, uh, you know, sacked, and then the usurper took over, and he was cursed, and then Emir was cursed and sent out, and uh, then he met with Vilgefortz, and Vilgefortz informed him of a situation uh, that he could take advantage of, of a certain a certain prophecy called Islini's prophecy uh, about the seed that is sown, uh, of, of the white chill and the white frost, the white flame. This will all come into play later, so much later. So much of it is indicative of what's about to happen. Uh, and uh, so he goes and does this intentionally. And what I love about this is that it's an inverse of a grain of truth. So a grain of truth, my reading, as I pointed out to Josh, like it's up for interpretation, and I like that it's up for interpretation, but my reading was that Nivellin uh, loved Verena, but Verena was just using Nivellin, and it was a toxic, impure love that cured Nivellin. So here, uh, while technically it is Calanthe who undoes the curse by fulfilling destiny by saying you can have Pavetta, the way I, or at least the way I see it, um from from my perspective is that you have someone who is merely using Pavetta. I mean, he will kill her later. He's going to throw her overboard and drown her. So, like, this is not a good person. He never was a good person, and he never will be. Uh, and uh, so he... Pavetta clearly is infatuated with him and is probably purely in love. And it's probably part of it's out of spite to her mother that she couldn't choose. Uh, which is fascinating when you think about the way Ciri's entire storyline was going to go with her bloodline. But I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, and so uh, basically Donnie was just using Pavetta to get to the next step, which was his child that he knew that he was going to have to sleep with to fulfill the prophecy, that he felt like he was so important that he could do all of this, and he's basically an egotistical asshole uh, who is manipulating his way into do getting exactly what he wants, 
Um, and of course, when he returns to Nilfgaard, well, he's already kind of fucked over Sintra a little, uh, and he's got spies in the court, and he's lived there for a while, and well, uh, he's about to sack them, and he's going to take Sintra down pretty goddamn easily. Um, you know, he is just preparing. He's playing the long game to go retrieve his birthright and fulfill a prophecy he feels that he's entitled to to fulfill, that he must, even though it's complete and utter hubris, um, but that is a mirror for you, um, and we will see more and more of his political astuteness and his ability to think long and hard about everything and play the long game uh, as the books continue. I also like how there are hints of his true personality, such as his pettiness uh, when, when when he's like, Okay, uh, the law surprise will be given to me, and uh, I've been insulted by the situation and this fight that broke out, but you, Calanthe, you are going to take your daughter and drag her over there and put her hand into mine and prove to me now that your word is sincere and I can take Pavetta with me. It's just pure and utter petty, because he's he's an asshole. He, you know, he's, he's a mere virus. Emperor of Nilfgaard, he, he gets what he wants. He knows what he wants. And maybe somewhere down the line, there may be a sliver of goodness in his heart. Who knows? Uh, but right now, he is so full of himself and where he's going to go and what he wants to do that uh, he is just being absolutely petty. Now, uh, the green eyes. Uh, the green eyes and the ashen gray hair, mousy gray hair. Um, these are all important, uh, Calanthe's bloodline, Ceres' bloodline, Pavetta's bloodline, all coming from the same, uh, is part of the Elder Blood. Uh, the Elder Blood is a genetic experiment, um, basically an eugenics program uh, by, uh, the elves, uh, done a long time ago that got fucked up royally because, uh, Laura Doran and, uh, uh, Kugrenen of Laud fell in love and fucked it over and made the blood impure, uh, you know, purity of race type thing in the age of the world, the elves are not innocent and were very far from innocent. They were actively participating in eugenics programs. They basically were trying to create an Aryan race. They are not nice. Not good. Not at all. Uh, and so I like how, like, the, the green eyes especially are called attention to in this because that is the birthright of this bloodline. Uh, and it requires, you know, it skips every few generations. It requires, uh, you know, a dormant gene and an activator gene to be present, uh, which is going to happen thanks to Amir and uh, Pavetta's coupling, which will produce Siri. Uh, but anyway, thank you. Uh, for joining me. Uh, next time will be Edge of the World with my good friend Josh. Uh, until then, see you later. Bye. <laughs>